Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus for Thursday the 5th of August. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. I want to talk today about wage inflation, inflation generally, and whether or not New Zealand should hike its interest rates in two weeks. Yesterday you may have heard that unemployment fell much more than expected to 4%. This is astonishing really after what's happened with COVID-19 and has got people thinking about whether the economy is overheating. In particular, they're warning that wage inflation is starting to brew and that in the past, when wage inflation brews, it can often spill over into price inflation for goods and services. They often warn back to the days of the 1970s and 80s when we had wage price spirals, where often you'd have a double-digit increase in wages and then that would be passed on almost immediately into prices and so on and so on. However, I want to push back at that notion and I'm actually having to push back on my own against everyone else because yesterday's numbers were so strong not just lower unemployment to 4%, people were expecting about 4.4%, not just higher employment growth, over 1% in the June quarter, but also some slightly higher than expected wage growth. And it was the wage growth figures that everyone's focused on. Everyone has an anecdote, of, of course, of people given big sign-on bonuses, increase in wage rates, poaching raids on each other's competitors. Um, there's a lot of noise around the market about how tight things are, how difficult it is to find people, and how many people are just resorting to the old tactic of putting up wage rates to try and attract and retain people. In part because, of course, it's not so easy to get the migrants in at the moment. And um, as you'd expect, uh, in a market with Lots of demand and tight supply, prices go up, or in this case, wages go up. That's the theory. However, let's take a closer look at not only what the economists are saying and what they think will happen to the official cash rate, but what's actually happening to wage inflation. Firstly, just to emphasize that I'm pushing back against uh, a real consensus view and a very strong consensus view. The strong consensus view is the Reserve Bank needs to put up interest rates urgently and quite fast and quite high from where they are at the moment to try and stamp down on this inflation pressure which is threatening to burst into flame. To give you an idea, here's some of the headlines that came out of the notes from the banks Yesterday, ANZ described the data as and the economy as at boiling point. Um, ASB um, described it as tighter than expected, um, used phrases like lifted sharply and more than expected. Uh, it says that the economy is now generating strong wage inflation. Uh, BNZ um, were the strongest. They talked about a searing labour market. And uh, talk about um, talking about the Reserve Bank having to very quickly remove its foot from the accelerator. So uh, ANZ is saying that it expects the official cash rate to rise from 0.25% now to 1.5% by May next year. That's quite a big and fast increase. ASB sees 1% by year end. Essentially, they're all saying there'll be a rate hike in two weeks' time and then another one in October and another one in November. The BNZ 
is actually suggesting we could have a 50 basis point rate hike in two weeks' time. And it's now seeing a peak in the official cash rate of 2.25% by early 2023. Even Kiwi Bank uh, is saying that it expects the OCR to rise to 1.5% by the end of 2022. And its headline was, strap yourself in for an RBNZ rate hike this month. So, oh, oh, and uh, Westpac described the labour market as demand as being red hot. So they're all very much of the view, um, act now, act fast, put up interest rates, wage inflation is not quite out of control, but running red, red hot. Well, let's have a closer look at that. You remember, all of these economists and the ones from the Reserve Bank and the Treasury for the last 10 years have said repeatedly, inflation is coming, put up interest rates, you need to be wary of inflation. In fact, the Reserve Bank twice in the last decade has pulled the trigger on rate hikes when it saw the glimmerings of wage inflation and inflation coming. Unfortunately, within a year or two, it has had to cut those uh, hikes back, to reverse those hikes, and in many cases go a little bit further than, uh, than the hike that they put through, because the inflation didn't arrive. And so these people who are saying collectively, so all the group of uh, economists in New Zealand, particularly in banks, the Reserve Bank, Treasury, have all taken this view that inflation is something that you need to jump on from a height very early when you see the first glimmerings coming over the horizon. And uh, that's the way the rest of the world used to do it too. The trouble is, in the last two years, the rest of the world have changed the way they've uh, thought about inflation targeting and interest rate hikes. The Reserve Bank of Australia, the US Federal Reserve, and the European Central Bank have all moved to what is called an average inflation targeting approach. They have learnt what has happened in the last decade, where they, just like everyone else, wrongly assumed inflation was coming. They preemptively and wrongly hiked interest rates a couple of times themselves during the last decade and had to wind them back and start up money printing again. And so they've decided to take a different approach this time around. They're saying... You know what, for the last decade, we had inflation lower than we wanted it and lower than we expected. Inflation was around about 1%. We wanted it around 2%. So we've had a decade of 1% and we wanted around 2% over the long run on average. So if we have another decade where it's 3%, then on average, that's about 2%. So they're saying we're going to let inflation run a bit hotter than we normally would to make sure we get exit velocity, i.e., we rev the engine a little bit harder when we start it this time around to blow the cobwebs out of the engine, get that smoke out and get the engine running nice and smoothly. That's the guts of what their argument is. And all three of them are doing that now. So that, that means these inflation spikes we've seen in the last um, six months or so, they've described them as temporary. And they're saying, hey, everybody, just hold your horses. Wait until we see the whites of the eyes of the inflation this time around. I know the last time when we saw, we heard the sound of galloping coming over the horizon, we pulled the trigger. Well, this time around, we want to see this thing right up, close and personal, inflation up 2 3% in our faces before we pull the trigger. So that's what the rest of the world is doing. And to give you an idea, the US 10-year government bond yield, 1.21% this morning, well down from its high of 1.77% in March. 
the rest of the world is no longer talking about inflation breakouts, in part because Delta has slowed down the economic rebound in many places. And also, they're, they're taking their central banks seriously. And the balance of opinion is that the central banks may be right. And maybe those people who were so sure of the inflation in the last decade um, are wrong again. However, in New Zealand, we are increasingly seeing a groupthink that says, hey, uh, New Zealand was always the pioneer of in, in, um, inflation targeting central banking. Uh, we've got it right forever and uh, we're going to get it right again. Well, actually, you didn't get it right for the last decade. And maybe you should be a little more cautious before pulling the trigger again. Why am I saying that? Because there is a chance that, you know, clock is a stopped clock is right twice every day maybe they're right this time maybe something has changed in the global economy well i'd argue that's not the case remember what we've seen in the last two decades is a globalization of manufacturing which drove down product prices so all of those supply chains that were rebuilt into china and elsewhere drove down the cost of labor and manufactured goods. We saw increasing, uh, an increasing amount of mechanization and automation in manufacturing processes that drove down unit prices of goods. And of course, we've become a bit better at logistics, COVID, COVID aside, uh, in getting that stuff around the world. And not just the final product, but all of the bits and pieces and components that are required to uh, make these goods around the world. Also, over the last 30 years, and in particular in the last 20 or so, we have seen a deunionization of global workforces and the increasing ability for people to move between borders and to effectively import low wage rates from some countries into uh, particularly uh, higher wage industrialized countries. And we've seen that here in New Zealand too, I think. And then you've got the effect of technology. Uh, back in 2007, the iPhone was launched and actually, I think that had more of an impact on the inflation environment than the global financial crisis, because the invention of the iPhone with the easy to use uh, app store, data connections, tools to take photos, all sorts of sensors has made it easier for someone to effectively completely disrupt an industry by putting an app into the app store, which uses the tools in these smartphones to provide a service. So, of course, you look at Uber, you look at Netflix, you look at uh, all sorts of services, hotels, um, financial services. And we've really only started that process of effectively repeating the globalization of services in a way that we saw with the globalization of products in the last 20 years. And remember, 60% of modern economies are services sectors. And they have only barely started the appification of the services sectors. And uh, also, you've got the overall problem with uh, the uh, cash that is definitely out there in bank accounts and in the hands of um, wealthier individuals. And the widening of inequality over the last 20 years has meant that whenever um, a central bank wants to sim stimulate an economy, at the moment it either cuts interest rates or it starts printing money. And you would think that money would circulate in the economy and start generating heat and inflation because there's been an awful lot of money printed. 
In today's uh, version of the Dawn Chorus, you can see some charts showing that in the last 18 months or so, central banks around the world have printed about $11 trillion in fresh cash, US dollars. And that is around about half US, one year's US GDP. Um, so why hasn't that just spilled over out there and started inflation fires all over the place? Well, it has for asset prices. We all know that. And it certainly happened in New Zealand. But it hasn't really for goods and services prices. And people are scratching their heads going, why is that? There's so much, plenty of money out there. Why isn't it being invested in real things like new factories, employing thousands of new people, inventing new products, really getting some heat into the market? Well, it turns out, as you get widening inequality, paradoxically, when people have lots and lots more money in their hands, they're much less keen or able to invest it and spend it. Just think, if you're a multi-billionaire and suddenly you're worth an extra billion dollars, try spending an extra billion dollars in six months. You certainly can't buy beer and Skittles with it. There's only so many luxury watches and private jets you can buy. And eventually you have to say, oh, I better just put it in the bank and keep an eye on it. Because when you're very, very rich, and particularly as you get older, you become more risk averse. Partly you want to preserve your wealth. So you're more about wealth preservation than about wealth expansion or generation. And so what we're seeing as the world becomes more unequal is more and more assets concentrated in the hands of fewer and fewer people who are older and older, who are more and more risk averse, are much more interested in putting their money into a safe asset, like, for example, a government bond or a cash deposit account at a bank, or if they're banks themselves, putting that cash with a central bank. And that's what we've happened. Uh, more than half of that $11 trillion of money printed in the last 18 months or so has just been parked back in bank accounts. Some of it's trickled out into the real world, but often it's out into the world of existing assets. So your paintings, your land, your property, your shares, your, your, your corporate bonds. And that isn't necessarily being pumped out into the creation of new things, factories and jobs. It's just sitting there, in effect. And that's one of the reasons why inflation hasn't really taken off, and certainly not wage inflation. Because, remember, as you get a more and more unequal society, the circulation of money slows down. So for those who are into their Milton Friedman study of monetarism, and uh, how the money supply works, remember, you have a certain money supply and it circulates each year. And that is equal to the price level times the, uh, the amount of goods and services produced. And that makes sense. And everyone assumes, of course, that the circulation speed doesn't change. So if you increase the amount of money in the economy, that increases inflation because you can't very quickly increase the amount of goods that you have in the economy. But... When you actually look at the speed of circulation in the global economy of money, you can see that it has fallen dramatically in the last 20 years. So in today's Dawn Chorus, I have a chart showing the velocity of M2 money stock in the United States. So this is the amount of money in the economy that's, uh, that's moving around. And during the late 80s and early 90s, when the boomers were in their prime, spending money, forming households, buying curtains, cars, all that sort of stuff, getting married, getting married again, uh, 
uh, they were spending money and they were investing it and they were feeling quite positive about the world, keen to invest in new things, create new businesses, take a risk. So they've done that. And so the uh, speed of circulation rose uh, from about 1987, when it was around 1.7, 1.8, to 2.2 in the mid to late 90s. Then we had the dot-com crisis, dropped a bit then. Then we had the global financial crisis, dropped a bit then. And so those uh, boomers who in the mid to late 90s were in their 30s and 40s, by the time we get to 2020, they're heading into their 50s, 60s and 70s. Now, when you're in your 70s, you don't want to risk your money in a high-risk startup. You don't want to give it to someone who's going out there with a good idea but is not sure. You want to put your money into a bank account that isn't going to be frittered away or is going to be there when you turn up in a couple of years' time when you need a new hip. You want to put your money into a safe asset like a government bond. And there aren't that many of those around uh, because the central banks keep buying them up. And so you just put it in the bank. And so what we've seen in the global uh, money supply circulation numbers is another is another big drop. So remember, we peaked in the mid-90s when the boomers were hard at it, spending and investing at 2.2. It dropped uh, during the GFC to about 1.6, 1.7. And then it kept declining to about 1.4 uh, just before COVID. In COVID, of course, it dropped very sharply. Um, not only could you not, you had too, too much money to spend, but you couldn't actually get outside the house and spend it. Although a lot of people made a good good attempt online. But what that meant was that the circulation of the global money supplies now dropped to 1.1. So you can print all this extra money, but if it's circulating more slowly, it's not getting out there into the economy to create inflation. And that's because of some deep structural forces, widening inequality, an aging population, and also the ability to invest in new products and new services and new businesses very cheaply. So in the past, when you wanted to invent a new brand of car or some new product, you had to build a factory and employ people and like lay down some concrete and invent a machine. It took a long time. It cost a lot of capital. You had to employ a lot of people. Now, when you want to start a business, invent something interesting, you employ, employ five coders. Uh, a decade ago, you could give them some pots of noodles in the plastic pots and say, invent me this app in two months. You have noodles. And if it's successful, you become a millionaire. And that's what they did. And you look at the examples of Instagram, uh, Uber and the likes. Those are invention of new businesses and wealth creation that employed very few people and used very little capital. Five people, 200 pots of noodles, a new app, and industry destroyed. Wages cut, wealth created, concentrated amongst small numbers of people. That's one of the reasons why a lot of this cash is stashed. It's in the hands of fewer and fewer people, and they don't need it to get wealthy, in part because at the moment they just put it into the value of an asset, and that asset value goes up in part because there's more money printing. There's an element of a feedback loop here, which is fairly awful, but is definitely the case. So in summary, wage inflation in New Zealand is currently only running at 2.1%. That's actually less than what it was early last year. And when you look at the amount of people who are getting big wage increases, yes, it's up from the previous quarter, but it's not 
at dramatically high levels and certainly not as high as it was through 2006-07 when we did have some um, significant wage inflation. Yes, unemployment is down to 4% and that seems extremely low and many people say that's maximum full employment and from here on you start generating inflation, the so-called non-acceleration inflation rate of unemployment, <laughs> the Nairu. But remember, we've been down here before and people are looking at how the global labour market is working and what's happening with wages will tell you that yes, uh, when you get down to low unemployment, wage inflation and heat starts to heat up. But it, it's, it's heating up less than it used to. And that's, again, because these work platforms are there. Um, the the appification of the economy is still there. Unions are not that much stronger. And uh, once COVID finishes, touch wood and everyone's vaccinated, the migrant labour forces will start moving again. So I think it's too early to say that the wage inflation is taking off and that we need to hike interest rates immediately and high uh, to try and stamp it out. A, the rest of the world's not doing that and we are still an open economy and it's highly unlikely that our inflation rate would get too far out of line with everyone else's. Secondly, those inflationary, those deflationary and disinflationary forces have not gone away. Those ships and those containers and those factories that drove down product prices have not been dissolved or destroyed by COVID. They're still there. Once COVID's out of the way, they'll fire up again properly if they aren't already. Secondly, the apps haven't gone away either. In fact, there's more of them. And there are many more industries that are being disrupted by these apps. Just think, for example, in financial services. Just last uh, week, um, uh, Afterpay, the big Australian um, buy now, pay later service um, was bought by Square, the company owned by the and run by um, uh, the guy who set up Twitter for a record high number, i.e. enormous amounts of wealth creation in an app. So we're talking about, you know, a couple of hundred people who, who built a company in an app that's worth $50 billion. Now that's a lot of noodles. And nowadays, uh, if you're a software designer and programmer able to do an app and um, you 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 don't get the pot noodles anymore. It's not a plastic pot. You get the noodle chef while you're doing the, the coding. So none of those disinflationary and deflationary forces have gone away. I think it's too early to start pulling the trigger. Now, a lot, some people would say, well, yeah, that may be true, but this is crazy what's happening to asset prices. We can't carry on like this. 30% house price inflation, that's nuts. doesn't matter what's happening with inflation. We need to put up interest rates because low interest rates are, are partially responsible, if not wholly responsible, for the significant increase in house prices in the last year. Just restore some sanity, put interest rates up to you know 1.5%. Surely that's a sensible thing to do now that we're out of this crisis. And I get that. It has been shocking what's happened to house prices and asset prices generally. And at some point, we do need to get back to normality. But actually, uh, monetary policy is not the way to solve a housing affordability problem. You can do some things with prudential policy. But again, as I talked about yesterday, uh, unless you allow or encourage house prices to fall, you're also not really going to solve the affordability problem there. You're going to make sure that banks are safe. That's what the Reserve Bank's supposed to do. But you're not going to make house prices cheaper. The only way you do that, as I talk about in this column today, is to have the government act to ensure that housing supply rises quickly and sustainably in a believable way 
for decade after decade. So we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of houses hitting the market to drive down prices and rents. Secondly, you reset expectations of homeowners by actually going out of your way to drive house prices down. Now you would say, uh, no government worth their salt would do that. And you're right. So at the moment, I don't really see the government um, looking to do much much of that. But there will be a, a reckoning, a political reckoning, when finally enough young people who are renters are around. A few of the baby boomers have died off. Some of those young people start voting at higher rates than they do at the moment. And we eventually get a resettling of the, of the political landscape uh, where you get an actual governmental response. Hopefully democracy works. Um, but in the meantime, you're unlikely to see enough houses built. You're likely to see migration uh, start up again. And f sadly, uh, because I think this is a, these are premature rate hikes, the rates will be cut again. And yet again, um, public confidence in the so-called experts and economists and in central bankers who say, the inflation's coming, let's put up interest rates, we've got this under control. Um, that again undermines confidence in our economic framework. So there we have it. Uh, everyone else, all the economists, are thinking wage inflation is a problem, we need to put up interest rates. And I'm saying, hang on a minute, that sounds like groupthink, have another look. So I'm playing the role of the heretic here today. Hopefully that's useful. Okay, uh, what else is happening in the world just to keep an eye on? New South Wales, it's ugly. It looks like it's really out of control there. Um, they're increasingly behind on their contact Tracing and testing, um, another couple of hundred cases yesterday. The New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, is saying it's going to be worse today. There are signs of a an outbreak in New South Wales. They're detecting high viral loads in their uh, waste outflow. And uh, New South Wales basically is, is doing as much as it can to vaccinate as many people as possible in August. Um, it's pretty much out of control there and the Australians are you know, locking down borders and you can hope that it doesn't get into Victoria and Queensland but you can give up on the idea of a bubble anytime this year I think. Also sort of interesting, um, Larry Page, the guy behind Google is in New Zealand. Somehow he came here for some medical treatment with his child. He seems to have some good connections to get into MIQ. Everyone else is absolutely beside themselves trying to work out how to get into those few places in MIQ and the government's under enormous pressure on this. And how is it dealing with that? Well, it's employing lots more comms people. <laughs> News out of the New Zealand Herald today that spending on government communications, so that's PR people, corporate strategy people, essentially professional ask coverers, people who deal with OAA requests to make sure no information gets out, uh, they, um, spending on them is up 50% in four years. Good money if you can get it. And also, uh, keep an eye out for um, more information on MIQ as we uh, head into next week when we should watch for the SCEG report, which is essentially New Zealand's version of a pathway to so-called normality various thresholds for vaccinations and border openings and that sort of thing. Um, that will be interesting to watch next Thursday. Hey, I'm Bernard Hickey. Again, I've got to make sure these don't get too long. Uh, it is uh, Thursday, the 5th of August. That is the Dawn Caucus on Dawn Chorus on the Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. <laughs>